Are you ready? Second Kings chapter 20 and verse number 1. In those days, <clears throat> Hezekiah became sick. He was sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. I want to preach this word to you, and then we'll pray. And for those who need a, a title for a notes or to remember it, I preach this, a window for a house in order. Now, I'm asking you to pray to the Lord that he will anoint you where you are and anoint me where I stand. Would you do that with me today? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for the anointing that can only come from you, for life-changing words, Lord, that might resurrect or restore, that might encourage or set in place where we are, the people that hear this. I ask you today for the anointing that breaks every yoke and bondage. I pray for the anointing that transcends space and time, that's not kept in a location, that walls cannot keep it. I pray for anointing to stretch out to everyone, wherever they are, at any time, who hears this word. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost, let the anointing that you put on the apostles and the prophets be resonant right now in this moment, I pray. Not for my glory, not for my adoration, but for your praise, for your glory, because you're holy, because you're good. For the benefit of your people, I pray. I pray right now for the anointing of the power of the Holy Ghost, that as people hear the word of the Lord, other things start happening in their life. Healings and miracles start taking place because of your anointing. Because wherever you are, Lord, something is going to happen. Something powerful is going to happen. When you show up for salvation, healing takes place, I pray. I know that you can do the work, Lord, I have confidence in you, not in me, Lord, but in you. So I pray, Lord, use me as a vessel of clay. Let this mouth be an oracle of the Most High God. I pray right now for our nation, for our country, for our city, for our community, for our neighbors. I pray for the church and the greater church of the body of Jesus Christ. Help us to be anointed right now to reach our cities and our world and let the church be the church in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. This may be a little unusual for wherever you are, but just clap your hands unto the Lord. I'll clap with you. Would you do that with me now? do that again. Do it one more time. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. Amen. If you were standing, then thank you, and you may be seated. If you have your Bibles, just leave them open to that chapter of 2 Kings 20. If the life you live if the life you're living now was at some point given over to inspection, if your days were placed squarely into the hands of some 
equitable historian, then I suppose that no greater words could be written of you than were offered concerning the life of Hezekiah, king of Judah. The Bible declares it, speaking of Hezekiah. I'll read verse 3. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father did. Verse 5. He trusted in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was not like him among all the kings. No one was like him. All the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him, for he clave, or he held fast, he, he adhered to. He clave to the Lord. He departed not from following the Lord, but kept God's commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. These are the words of summary, even before he began. And now the account is sealed, even before the end of his days. Hezekiah was given this resounding affirmation. It was a kind word. There were many battles and subsequent victories. The Lord was with him. Hezekiah fought against Israel's nemesis, the Philistines. He chased them into hiding. He also reject, rejected those oppressing nations. He dismissed those cumbersome treaties meant to subdue his people. All of it hung as an ornament around his monarch. While the northern kingdom of Israel struggled, while they were overtaken and diminished by their enemies, Hezekiah led his southern kingdom into years of prosperity and safety. Judah never had a king so proficient or caring as Hezekiah. And though he lived hundreds of years after David, and though there was no physical connection or connecting to David, David was not his biological father. The Bible still says that he did what was right like his father David did. It was a clear call to a spiritual connection. Such was the accolades to Hezekiah. None like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him, for he clave to the Lord. Please allow me to pause. The benefit of this Bible, these holy scriptures, chronicled before us are so numerous. I hope you will eat the Bible's words. I hope you relish your time in the scripture above all things. They illuminate the dark world of every era. They enter as a sage, peering over the balcony of time past and time to come. To ignore the Bible's account can only be likened to a self-wound with no balm for healing. Nothing is more damaging to the soul than the lack of knowledge of the scriptures. Rejecting the truth is a deliberate failure. But to heed the word, oh, to love this book, to keep it hidden in a place impossible to lose. It's like the summary of the psalm concerning the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord. The psalmist said the fear and judgments of the Lord. He named them and their benefit. And then here's the summary in verse 11 of Psalm 19. Moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. 
I want to preach to you today, but I also want to pause long enough so that maybe you might grasp the whole of what the Spirit is speaking to the church today. So please take notice, not just today, but each time you hear the preached word, not because of the speaker, not because of me or some other personality that you have found favor in, but I pray that you protect the words that you hear, protect them. Just as the Lord protected the words of Samuel, so too we must protect the word. God did what all of us must do. God protected the words that the prophet Samuel spoke so that each word had its intended effect. The Bible says that Samuel grew and the Lord did not let any of his words fall to the ground. Hear it. God did not let his words fall to the ground. That is what we must do with every word that comes from the Bible and the scripture and the preached word. They are seeds that need protection. They are seeds that need consideration and care. And no one can keep them but you. So look carefully. Watch the movement of the Spirit in this day. Watch the movement of the Spirit through the Scriptures. All of it is tied together. He's talking it to us through the life of a king. A life of a king. Hezekiah. He's 14 monarchs removed from David and yet connected to David. Hezekiah kept the law of Moses. He was a leader who understood the value of the written word and it showed as he kept the commandments of the Lord. Because of his faithfulness, the land was protected. Are you hearing me today? A protected word is the protection of the nation. A kept word from God individually is the keeping of the entirety. And thus, the land of Judah did well under Hezekiah. Surrounding cities grew and they found peace. Jerusalem itself became a safe haven for sacrifice. And true worship convened there among the people in that city. These are the blessings of God. Success is a blessing. But so is a battle. And I lament that so many have attributed a struggle with judgment. When in reality it was probably God's greater cause and action. Life is not smooth always. Given enough time, everyone faces a battle, a struggle. And sometimes the battle is not the battle at all. Sometimes the battle is not what is facing us. Rather, it is the people who we shall become. Sometimes the things we think are against us are only there to bring us to the dealings of the inner man where our destiny is determined. Look into the scripture now. Hezekiah's reign will come to a close as all things do. It shall close. It was on some nondescript day that he fell ill. It was a sickness that he could not shake. No remedy was found. No medicine or physician could fix him. And now we find him in his bedchamber. He cannot rise from where he lay. The prophet Isaiah has come to see him. On other occasions, prophets will meet with kings in places of importance or of authority among the nobles or before the throne. But Hezekiah is met in the privacy of his own bedroom. He's lying on his bed when the prophet enters his room. Isaiah has met with Hezekiah on at least two prior occasions of which we are aware. 
On both of those occasions, the prophet Isaiah brought messages of good things, good tidings. Perhaps Hezekiah thinks the same will come. The prophets are always welcomed when they bring good reports. Everybody wants them. But real prophets of God, hear this, are indifferent to the nature of the message. Isaiah was one of those. His kind is unique and rare both then and now. Isaiah has a short message for this bed-bound king. It doesn't seem very formal or well put. It's certainly not reassuring. Isaiah offers no condolences, no sympathy or heartfelt sorrow for this king. Isaiah simply says, and I will quote it to you again, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Peradventure the bystander deems such words cold and indifferent. Truth has been told and grace has been given. Oh yes, it has. Some think that Isaiah's words are harsh and judgmental. Why say it at all? But therein lies the fallacy of the temporal mind. I say today, God knows what he's doing God knows the days that have been, and he knows what lies ahead. And besides all those who denounce Isaiah's presentation, Isaiah still has come to say, Thus saith the Lord. And again I pause to admonish all those with ears to hear. If God says it, then whatever he says is for our good. You may not understand it. You may not welcome it. It might not be presented in pleasant tones that fit your liking. It may not be palatable to you. But if it is really thus saith the Lord and you have served him with all of your heart and you have done that which was right in the sight of God, then it will always be ultimately for your good. Nevertheless, Hezekiah did not find comfort in Isaiah's single sentence sermon. It's a harsh ending for a short-lived career. Doesn't seem very fair. And oh my, everyone loves fairness. Hezekiah will say as much in his grief. He'll turn his face to the wall. But though Hezekiah did not receive the message with joy, the message was the truest, hear me now, it was the truest blessing ever afforded to this mortal life. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. It speaks of a time. I'll call it a window. The window is a designated period where something, maybe many things, can be accomplished. Changes can occur in the window. Differences can be made. Relationships can be mended. Tangled, webbed, and Crooked roads, crooked roads, all of that can be made straight. In the window, in a purely pragmatic sense, a final will and testimony can be poured over, written, rewritten, adjusted. Instructions can be passed along. The future of the monarch's administration can be guided, set on the right course. There is a time of promotions and placements. Even warnings about unscrupulous men can be spoken just as David gave those instructions to Solomon in his final moments of living. All of it happens in the window. There's nothing like a window 
to put a house in order. Nothing rises to the value of knowing what time it is. <laughs> with all of our clocks, wristwatches, with all of our computerized measurements, I dare say that few are aware of their own time. Few are aware of their own limitations. But in the window, mm, there's hope. The window speaks of a limited term where all that was, all that happened wrong, can and must be made right. I've seen it. I've heard it. The dying man calling for an end to old grievances, seeking forgiveness from those he has hurt, and offering the same for those he has hurt or wounded. That is the power of the window. I've been there with families, mothers, fathers, spoke words that should have been spoken when they were strong and full of life. But in the window, there was redemption and restoration among the family that took place. It was wonderful. It was awesome. I have heard of others who set things right that were wrong for a long time because they knew they had a window to make it so. And what they said became a blessing to cherish for years to come. They were remembered by what happened in the window, not what happened prior to it. Hezekiah has been given this from the Lord. All of it could be set in order. He was now able to do something profound. It was going to be incredible what happened. The kingdom was on the verge of completeness at the message of the prophet's words. It could have lasted in strength and he could have accepted it if only he had remembered thus saith the Lord. His lineage would have thrived and the southern kingdom would have stood long past his days. I pray today that you don't think of those words as judgment because this is a righteous king. The window for a house in order was a good word for a good king. He was not a wicked king. He was tied to David. He was not a flagrant man with skeletons in his closet who wasted his days and forfeited his nights. He was a good king who did what was right in the sight of the Lord and still he had to get his house in order because no matter what kind of life you live, a window for a house in order is the primary and every other good thing becomes secondary. I knew this. I, I knew this study this but something has changed in me the smoothness of my approach that I thought was so beneficial for everyone has been sharpened and I see it more clearly than ever before my eyes I say today have adjusted in the year 2020 God was offering grace to Hezekiah not condemnation God was offering a blessing to the king not a curse he had a little time, and what an offering a window can truly be. It was a little time, sometime. It echoed of the words of Jesus Christ himself when he tried to prepare his disciples for his departure. Jesus said to his men, his disciples, he said, men, I am with you for a little time, but there's going to come a moment when I won't be here, you won't see me anymore. Of course, they're confused and they're bewildered. And Jesus is continuing. He's preparing them. He's 
teaching them. He was putting meat on their bones. He was putting strength in their speech. He was putting doctrine in their minds. He was with them for a little while. It was a window. And Jesus said it. He said it yet a little while. And the world sees me no more. But ye see me because I live. Ye shall live also. He said it over and over again. In multiple different chapters. And in multiple different ways. And each time he said it. They were more and more confused. In so much. I'll read it to you. They kept asking. What does this mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's trying to say. John 16, 18, they said, what does it mean? What does this mean? We don't understand this little while. They were bewildered and confused, befuddled by the window that Jesus was presenting. They were accustomed to him being there. They wanted him to be there. It was their expectation that Jesus would always be with them there. But his plan was to be with them in spirit. They could not understand it. It was going to transform everything. And he was going to transcend the human limitations just as he is doing today. So he's teaching and he's training again and again. The Lord's doing it. There are parables and he gives them examples. There are analogies and then there are miracles one after the other. He's refuting the carnal craft of the Pharisees and showing the nature of the kingdom of heaven to his men. He's kicking over tables and declaring the purpose for the temple and he yells out, my father's house shall be a house of prayer, not a den of fees. They're watching him. Order is in its place. Order is in that place. He goes to another location and he puts order in that place. Jesus had a window to train them. It was like a crash course in global church building that would have to last for over 2,000 years. A course that will culminate in a worldwide movement. Not just a denomination. The church built on the rock which will be identified as the chief cornerstone. It was a work and it was at play and Jesus was in a window and they were in a window and they are they're struggling with it and they're asking him they're asking one another who's the best among us who's the leader among us he's trying to imprint on them and they're wondering at at about the scene who's going to sit where Jesus is on a collision course with Calvary and he's working in a window putting the house in order because a house in order is the directive of the spirit. It always has been. It always will be. Read Genesis chapter 1. It declares it so. Creation had to be set in order. It wasn't just calling it into existence. It was putting it in order. There was no life without order. It's a ball of mud. A 25 million mile ball of mud. The preacher of Ecclesiastes 3 made it clear. There's a time for everything. There's an order to everything. Even Paul described the headship of the church and the family. And he further offered the directive to the church. And he said it this way. Let all things be done, everything done decently and in order. Order is having everything in place. Order is the process by where the, whereby the kingdom continues uninterrupted and unconstrained. Not of flesh, not of talent or human engineering. No one can think this through. You can't just think this into being. You got to put it into place. So don't lose the words of Isaiah. His message is speaking to us right now. Set your house in order. It won't last forever. You ought to do it right now. Wherever you're sitting, you ought to do it right now. Out of your mouth, you ought to say, I am going to put my house in order. I've got a window. Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order. 
There's a window for a house that has to be set in order. I wish you would do it right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Oh, oh Lord, help us right now. Help all the people right now of every age and every status and every demographic, Lord. We got to put something in order, Lord. We got a window of time to put something in order, Lord. Come on, people, clap your hands unto the Lord. Out of your mouth, shout praise unto God. Say it out of your mouth. I'm putting something in order in my life. Uh, uh. God has offered this beloved king a gift. And Isaiah has presented it to him unfiltered and unfettered. Set thine house in order. Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, this was a gift. Mm -hmm. I know there is some rebuttal to that. So tell me your greatest gift. (laughs) Tell me the thing that was given you. And I'll show you a greater gift still. Tell me of your most prized possession or your treasured moment or your most notable accomplishment in life and I'll show you one greater than them all. Some intellectual might pontificate about the greatest gift being life itself. Others have written it to be the awareness of self to be or not to be. But none of them reach the depths of what the Bible declares as truth. They are all but shallow thoughts born from the minds of culturally bound men. I'll show you the greatest gift today. The greatest gift is to know when you're going to die and then having the ability, the chance, the window to put your house in order. (laughs) That is the greatest gift. It's the folly of the fool who forsakes the window It's the careless and the crass who live it up without regard to their impending end. God gave Hezekiah what so few have ever received. God gave Hezekiah a chance to die pure and to die right. He gave Hezekiah an opportunity to live in righteousness and put his house in order. Let me share with you this gift. The gift is the ability to die saved. And I say today, don't squander the window. The house is depending on what you do in the window. Let me go let me go further. Our nation is depending on what the people of God do right now. America is depending on what every apostolic born again believer in the liberating power of Jesus, everybody who has the name applied to their life, the world is waiting. They're depending on what we do in the window. People you don't even know, people you'll never meet, they're depending on you, the church, what we're going to do in the window. And of course, I know again there's rebuttals. The Lord has prepared me for this a long time ago. And through the many years of preaching and of pastoring, the years have have taught me things that no book could teach me. So I'll answer the voice of the negative recipient. I'll answer you. And those that are struggling with this message, how how could that word from Isaiah be a gift? I'll answer that negative and spiteful spirit. The answer to your question is no. 
I'm not preaching about dying. I'm not even preaching about how to die. I'm preaching about how to live. Live a holy life unto the Lord. Live set apart from the trends and the philosophies of this age. Live with faith in your mouth and love in your heart. Live with treasures in heaven, not material things that weigh you down. Live with mercy and grace that frees your conscience both day and especially at night. Are you hearing me? I'm preaching to you about how to live because it depends on how you live. While you die depends on how you live. Can you hear me now? Bitterness poisons your heart, but forgiveness makes you free. Grudges and old wounds have turned your spirit suspect and cold. Get rid of it, bury it under the blood of Jesus Christ, and then lift up your hands in praise right now. You have a window to put your house in order. Set it in order. The church has a window to reach the world with the gospel. Both are tied together. We are inseparable from our individual lives and the body of Jesus Christ so right now lift up your hands and say it oh God the sin of the Lord I got a window and I'm going to use it I'm going to exercise it uh, I wish somebody out there wish somebody would clap their hands I wish somebody would lift up their voice I know I can't hear everybody but I wish somebody could be heard of the Lord I wish you'd pause what you're doing and say right now today I'm making a decree I got a window I'm setting my in order I don't want to go too far down this road but it's, it could be that the Lord has kicked us all out I think maybe God did it maybe God kicked us out of our buildings because he's trying to get his house in order maybe the Lord is showing us we got a window he wants to do the work in the time <laughs> you think the tables were the only things he kicked over he kicked out and kicked over all of our agendas, all of our schedules, and he kicked us out of our buildings. There's a reason for it. Nothing bypasses the mind of God. He didn't wake up and say, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. He knew everything. He planted in the order. And he set all these kings and all this book just for our admonition. Everything was written so that we would know. And I've read the commentaries of the Bible. People trying to figure out what it says without the Spirit. People without the Spirit writing commentaries. Many, many, many believers are looking at commentaries written by people who don't have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I've looked at the comments by men and women who so clearly misinterpret the dealings of 2 Kings chapter 20. So clearly leading people away from the truth there. Many, in fact, of our modern pulpiteers boast of the power of Hezekiah's prayer. <laughs> As if this prayer was a benefit to Hezekiah's life. It was not a benefit. The window was a gift, not the answered prayer. <laughs> Let me just say this. God's first word was always the best word in Hezekiah's life. Hezekiah's granted prayer request was a reduction of what God intended for him. The second word became a burden, not a blessing. The last 15 years of Hezekiah's life, after he got his wish, after he got his prayer request, it was misspent. It was mismanaged. It was altogether a loss. The kingdom was lost when Hezekiah rejected the window. His house was out of order when he despised the word that came with a window.
And not only did Hezekiah get what he asked for, but he died with a house in chaos and a monarch in peril and a nation heading for trouble and sin. He spoiled his window. It ran out. It became the blemish of a lifetime. Like all those who recklessly go about their days not knowing what time it is or not caring or what hour in which they live. I hope, ladies and gentlemen, we will all become the church of God in the last days. I say to everybody, get back to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Get back to the lifestyle of holiness and sacrificial living and giving. I feel the Holy Spirit calling the body both locally and generally. We have but a window and we got to get our purpose back. Say it where you are. I got to get my purpose back. Say it again. I got to get my purpose back. We got to get our calling back. Say it with me. I'm going to get my calling back. I got to follow my calling. One more thing. We got to find our mission. We got to focus on our mission. Say it with me. We're going to be about the Father's business. Come on, somebody say it. I'm going to be about, I got a mission. I got a mission. I got a mission. These things must be in place. They must come into being, into focus. Our purpose is to spread the gospel, not make money. Our purpose is to preach and teach the gospel, not buy more stuff. We should be more anxious to teach a Bible study than we are to plan for a vacation. The window is not for us to see how many friends we can accumulate on Facebook or how many likes we can accumulate on our most recent post. That's not what we're here to do. Our purpose is the kingdom. It's a little while. It's a little time. I'm here a little time. It's not going to happen all the time. Our calling is to minister, to serve, to be servants. We are called to do the master's bidding. Come on, church. Wake up. Now is the time. We have a window of opportunity. Our mission is the field. Our mission is the field. Go look in your Bible. Open up that Bible. Jesus never prayed for the sinners and the harvest. He did not pray for 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 the sinner. He prayed for laborers that would reap the harvest. That's what the modern day church has been doing for a long time. We've been coming to buildings. We've been praying for the harvest. We've been gathering on campuses and we've been talking about the lost when we really should have been in the field finding the lost. So Jesus kicked over another table. 2,000 years later, he kicked over another table. He kicked it over so all the world had to pause and consider. He kicked it over so everyone was fearful about losing their money and stocks and bonds and 401ks because people have been trusting the wrong thing. It's not just the world trusting the wrong thing. It's the church that's been trusted in the wrong thing. His house is a designated place. It's bigger than everything else. We've got a window. And Jesus said that the people were ready. The harvest was ready. The harvest implies a ready to reap crop. The trouble was never the sinner or the lost. The trouble is that the church forgot its purpose. I don't know how many people watch or listen, but I'm just preaching to whoever hears it. We have a window in the political world right now. It won't last forever. We have a window in this political climate. No matter what you think the political climate is, we have opportunities in this window to preach uninhibited the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will not last forever. The very things that our grandfathers assumed will become outlawed. Hear me now. You have a window. Put your house in order.
God has given us also a window, financial window, a financially uh, well-played, well-defined window. It's time to get your house in order. It's a gift. We are about, I, I believe this, we're just about to start living. I'm not talking about dying. I'm preaching about living an abundant life. I'm talking about not just living around the Lord, but living for the Lord. I'm preaching about taking advantage of the blessings that God has offered to us so that we can reap those who've been waiting for us to arrive. We have a window and it won't last forever. God is calling his people to do the work as Jesus said. Do the work while it's day. The night cometh when no man can work. But the night is not yet. Praise God. We're not over yet. The window's not closed yet. There is a revival of many people that can still be harvested and reaped. There are wounded hearts and wounded spirits and discouraged people that can still be recovered. There are prodigals that can still come back to God. We're in the window. Don't despise the time. First Thessalonians chapter 12. I won't go through the whole thing. It promises a resurrection. I read it all the time at a funeral. Sometimes, in fact, we might preach it a little bit. We talk about it. Every funeral service features the words, we shall rise again. We will meet the Lord in the air. Everyone loves that. But if you miss your window... There's another view of the same day. It's not filled with all the pleasantries to soothe the suffering. It comes from Daniel chapter 12 verse 2. He wrote, many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. You see, the end is determined by the condition of your house. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the house. You are the house. Set your life in order. Set your thoughts in order. Set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. You are the keeper of all things that live inside of you, whether holy or whether evil. Your heart is the harbor that hosts all the offenses or all the mercies. You decide. You choose. I hope you can hear me today because this window is a season that will fade. It's a it's a destined closing. It's destined to be closed. It will emphatically shut regardless of what you think or what you do. You think it's going to last forever. I'm going to tell you it's not going to last forever. And I'm not talking about the corn days of quarantine. I'm talking about the viability to go about and do anything you want. Your window has an appointment that it will keep and there is nothing you can do about it. So rise up, ladies and gentlemen. Rise up, church of the God, a church of the mighty God. Rise up and be the church. Rise up and teach a Bible study. Rise up and go get the harvest. Rise up and set your house in order. Rise up and be committed and be consecrated. Come on, church. You've got a window. Set your house in order. Thus saith the Lord. The time is running out, and you better get right with God. You got the grace. It's a gift of God. I'm almost done. <laughs> I'm commissioned. I'm commissioned to preach. So that you consider something that maybe you haven't considered before. That your life and the order of the church needs to be considered. Don't wait for an open door. And don't wait for the doors to be open. The door is now. The door is today. The door is your life now. Look, I, I, I know how this goes. 
This has happened a thousand times to me. Ten thousand times. I don't know how many times. Thousands of times. The word is preached. We hear it. It's for a little while. Then we just go about our business. We kind of go on to the next thing. It's just, let's get to the next thing. Sometimes, after I would get done preaching words, I feel the word of God boiling inside of me and the burden has come out. It's like getting that motor running and it's, it's been running. It's so, it's, it, that motor is hot. It's, it's just smoking and it's been going and I can't hardly take nonsense after I get done preaching. Just subjects that have nothing to do with anything, trivial things. So I hope that when you get done with the word, come on, stay in the spirit. Don't move on to the next thing. When the days of quarantine are over, don't move on to the next thing. You gotta get, you gotta get on fire. You gotta be sold out. You gotta do something to exercise the window. Are you waiting for things to open up? You don't have to wait for stores and malls to open up. You ought to say right now is the appointed time he's with us for a little while we've got a little while it's a gift of God I don't feel the same I don't feel the same standing here as I did two months ago I don't feel the same there's a fervency in me I'm praying Lord Jesus help the church get on fire help the church realize what time it is we've got to know what time it is the window is going to close it's going to be emphatic thus saith the Lord to the church I'm giving you a time those of you who need to you need to repent of your sins those of you who need to look introspectively and say Lord there's more that I need to be doing some of you are holding back some of you have been praying prayers because you didn't like the first word that God gave you stop praying those prayers accept the word of the Lord it's a gift for you it's a gift for you stop believing people who write commentaries don't know anything about the moving of the spirit they're theologians without anointing they're scholars without devotion to the scripture I say today we're going to exercise this opportunity and we're going to thank God thank you Lord for this opportunity when was the last time you stopped and said thank you Lord for these days of quarantine come on just thank him thank you for this Lord you're doing something in my home you're building me back again. You've kicked over everything. You're building me back again. Now let the church be built by God. Let the church be built by the Most High God. Let your life be founded on the rock and built by the Most High God. Not the gods of this world. I pray right now in Jesus' name for all the people. I pray that hear the word. I pray, Lord, let there be a soberness and an awareness of every believer, Lord. Resurrect the church, Lord, today. Help us to be thankful for the time that you've given to us, Lord. You have done the work, Lord, in the appointed time. And we hear the words of God now speaking to us. We have things to set in order. And we have a window of opportunity. 
opportunity it's a gift to do the same come on people that's right that's it that's it that's it I feel the Holy Ghost I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost I don't care what time you watch this I don't care what day you hear this but if you're hearing this right now and you're watching me live you ought to throw your hands in the air you ought to cast aside everybody that's around you forget about every person that's around you and if you are alone in your house or you're alone in your car you ought to pause and just say Lord I'm hearing your voice I've got a window I'm not going to squander the window I'm not going to pray for a different thing I'm going to hear the voice of God and I'm going to set my life in order and I'm going to set the mission and my calling and the purpose of the body in order